Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. Here is a five-star review we received on Apple Podcasts. It's titled, One of the Best. This is one of the best podcasts if you are dealing with any kind of emotional or psychological abuse and coercive control. Although it focuses on the abuse of pornography use, even though that wasn't my specific issue, so many episodes have helped me so much. Abuse is abuse and getting clarity of what is happening is critical. The focus on safety first is a key theme and so important. I wrote this review a while ago, but I felt I needed to edit it because today's episode was so very powerful to hear the truth spoken out loud that although we have done the work, set the boundaries, found safety in the ways that we can, if you have children, there really isn't a path to be away from the abuse. So sad, but so true. Amazing perspective, Anne. Thank you so much. Your reviews not only help isolated women find us, but they're just personally comforting to me, and I really appreciate your support. I have a member of our community on today's episode. Her name is Hillavy. Hillavy was born in Valparaiso, Indiana, and grew up next door to Orville Redenbacher, which is awesome. She started her career as a Christian musician, singing and playing guitar with a duo, Milk and Honey, in the Chicago area. Being part of the Jesus people scene, she married the day after her 18th birthday, and wanting to please the Lord, she went to countless How to Be a Godly Woman, where you are putting that in quotes, How to Be a Godly Woman workshops, including some of the total women, total submission teachings. She began to see the abuse in the way scripture was being twisted by the church. So after seven years of a failed, painful marriage, she divorced and began a journey that led her to Minnesota, where she worked in theater and discovered she loved working in theater and arts education. While working as an artist in residence, she completed her undergrad degree in music, visual communications, technology, and media studies. Eventually, she completed her master's in teaching literature and communications. In 1993, Hillavy married her now husband together with their five children. They lived a dream marriage until Hillavy discovered his secret life in 2013, shortly after they moved to the mountains of Colorado. So Hillavy has listened to this podcast from the very beginning. In fact, she's read through and helped a terrible draft, by the way. It's much better now of my book that will be coming out next year. She's read through and helped with sections of that. She has been a 
devoted supporter of betrayal trauma recovery, not just emotionally, but also financially by supporting the podcast. And I want to thank her for her continued support to betrayal trauma recovery, because this podcast is due in part to Hillevy and women like her who support this podcast and who, who volunteer their time and help out. So thank you so much for all you have done to support me through the years. Oh, thank you so much because you too have done a lot to support the rest of us women who listen avidly to your podcast. Well, we were talking before and you said that you were listening from the very beginning where I was sort of a mess crying in the microphone and sort of fumbling around trying to figure this out. And so you have seen in real time me come into my full understanding and power that I'm in now, which is so different than I was four years ago. Just for our audience, you witnessing that real time, what did you observe? I felt like I was walking through everything I went through from the onset of my discovery of my husband's betrayal. And what I felt was like a sisterhood. You were expressing things, feeling things in real time. And I had just passed through some of those emotions and was still struggling to find my way through this and maintain my marriage. So it was very much just kind of a give and take of, I hear you, I understand, I've been there, I'm going through that again. And it's not just a single straight path of a timeline. So it was definitely great to have you along for the ride or me along for your ride. And vice versa, because we're all in this together of this journey of healing. And it's really cool to be part of the collective community because when someone has an epiphany and they let me know about it, then I can podcast about it. And that helps other women have epiphanies. And we're all working together to come out of the fog and to understand it more. And it really is a communal effort. And also, I feel like all of us are genuinely praying for truth and for peace And so the Lord is guiding all of us sort of collectively together to find these things out. I think it's interesting that so many of us started with a codependency model or, you know, some, something like that. And then we've all sort of independently or together found this abuse model is really the only thing that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I remember in the eighties, I was dating another drummer. My husband is a drummer as well. I had this thing about drummers, but I was dating another drummer and he was one of those off again, on again. I love you now, but now I need other women and then come back to me. And a girlfriend gave me the book, Women Who Love Too Much. And many people who listen know that book. And I didn't know if that sounded or rang true or not. It just seemed like it was a little too much putting the blame on me rather than, you know, I need to just walk away and just stand up and stop accepting abuse. But that's kind of where I started in understanding the, just the codependency model was so, so wrong. It was blaming the victim. So let's talk about that victim blaming that happened to you and it was around you in the eighties and nineties. Your bio mentions that you went to some workshops on how to be a godly woman again in quotes and about the total woman workshops. I'm not aware of these. Were these really popular back then? Oh, (laughs) 
It was so popular. Maribel Morgan wrote The Total Woman, and she was on everybody's television from Donahue to whatever. And if you were a Christian, you needed to learn to totally submit, also subject yourself to your husband's whims and desires and dress like he wants you to. And that little scene in Fried Green Tomatoes, if you remember when Kathy Bates wraps herself in saran wrap, that was from the total woman. I kid you not. So that kind of feeling that if you were a truly godly woman, you would take that one verse out of Ephesians 5, you know, and just put that as the idol in your home. You must submit. I just was too rebellious in nature to submit. My father hated that. My father was alive at the time. I was very, very fortunate to grow up with a dad who said, you can become anything, anyone you want. There is no limit. There's no glass ceiling. And so my dad really hated what he saw me becoming and asked me to please go back and read the whole Bible. <laughs> and I was very, very fortunate to have dad. He really helped open my eyes up to that. Both my parents were World War II veterans, but they both went to college afterwards. My mother was a journalist and my dad was a businessman in the lumber business. So they were both educated and really guided me. My father did. My mom died when I was very young, but my father and my grandfather also were very good guidances as what love and a good husband is. I just didn't find it yet. <laughs> so what were the, some of the things that you tried while you were in this sort of total woman, crazy, trendy church teachings phase where you were kind of submitting yourself to these misogynistic ideas? Well, the first thing was is when I got married, I was touring as a Christian artist at the time, and he immediately wanted me to give up singing in public. He wanted me to stay at home, have babies, take care of the house, and to serve him. I was not to be elevated in public with the music. We started a church, for instance, and I would be singing praise songs in church, but my voice does carry. And if somebody would turn around and say, oh, I love your voice, we wouldn't go back to that church. He would want me to step back and let him be the sole source of devotion from everybody around him. So that was the first thing, dressing the way he wanted me to dress, cook the food he wanted me to cook, that kind of thing. If I would start talking about something and he wasn't interested in, he would just say, not interested, and walk away. And I was supposed to just accept that. So it was pretty hard um, time in my life. And I rebelled, stood up to him to that. And then, of course, the people around us who were very much into the total woman said that I was truly a rebel and I was not honoring God and they must shun me. So I got shunned. Spiritual abuse. Wow. Yes, it was. It was. Did you recognize it as that at the time? Eventually I did. Not at the beginning. I thought it was just all connected, but it didn't take me long. My grandfather didn't like him. My father didn't like him. Like I said, they were really trying to help me find my own, but I was young and ignorant. I was 18 when I got married. So yeah, I was pretty ignorant. And my life got filled very quickly with my children and I just got involved with them. And it was a time that I eventually just learned to walk away, to stand up. My friends from that era, 
we just kind of laugh about the stupid things we did at that time, thinking they were right. And that's not to say that there isn't a give and take in a good marriage, but this was abuse. This was, you will do as I say, and that is total abuse. That's really interesting, especially coming up in a different time period. I just want to tell you that uh, I'm not an old 65. I, my arm is in a sling right now because I'm, uh, I had a rotator cuff surgery last week uh, from a bad zip lining experience. So I'm one of the young 65 people. So. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I feel like I'm a super old 43 year old. I feel the opposite. I feel like I just want to like eat pudding. <laughs> And lay on the couch and, you know, how can I not walk up and down the stairs? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> I just did my 10,000 steps yesterday. So I'm back on my feet getting ready to get this off, I hope, soon. So I love life in the mountains. And that keeps you down, too. I have grandkids. And we do stuff together. And I want to be a young grandparent. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, I think the reason I bring up that age difference is because we all have these cultural and perhaps religious scripting that is working against us that we don't realize that is a part of our generation. It's a part of our time. And right now for the kids, you know, the 20 year olds, it's like porn is normal. This is fine. You're totally sex negative if you're not into porn and if you're not sexting. And so that's the generation they're growing up in. The one that I grew up in was that you are there to help a man and be stay at home and do that stuff. So I guess what I mean is, you know, when I was going to college, I never thought, what career do I want? It was, what do I need to graduate in so that I can have a job where I can make sure that I can be a mom? It wasn't like, what do I really want to do? I really want to be an astronaut, you know, or I really want to do this, which I didn't want to be an astronaut. But I certainly at that time was not thinking I want to be a porn podcaster. That's for sure. <laughs> I know. I feel really blessed in that I returned to college when I was in my 30s. And by that time, I knew what I wanted to do. I'd already been working in musical theater in the Twin Cities as an actress. I'd already been teaching in the schools as an artist in residence, directing plays. And by the time my children were starting school, I was ready to go back to school myself. And it became a really exciting time in my life because I was, you know, in my late 30s. And now I'm sitting in a classroom with 18-year-olds who could care less about doing their homework. And me, I'm obsessed with getting straight A's, right? It was wonderful because while I loved the theater, I was also becoming very fascinated with technology and media history. And that began to open my eyes to a whole nother realm of what we were doing, the history of media and what it was doing to form our culture. And not in a good way, in a very, very bad way. And so when everything came out with my husband, who, by the way, helped put me through school, he was really thrilled. He'd already been through college, and so he knew I wanted to do it. So when everything came out, I guess I was prepared in many ways in that I saw what music industry, the theater industry, the film industry, all of what it was doing and creating in our society. And I just thought he was above that. I truly thought he wouldn't have that the kind of porn attitude that he did, but it was his secret life. And you discovered that in 2013? Yes. Yeah. When we moved here, he works out of our home and I was really excited to work for Apple for a while. So I'm kind of an Apple guru. 
he, of course, got an Apple computer and I became his techie. And I just never in a million years thought he was going into porn. I knew he had been involved with that before we were married, when he was on the road in the band, all that kind of thing. But I had no idea because he knew how I hated it. He knew I was just frustrated by men's idolization of a woman's body. And that came before anything else. So it absolutely shocked me when I was doing some cleanup work on his computer to all of a sudden pull out the preferences and finding out that he had passwords for porn sites. And that was a real wake-up call. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote-unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. Now back to our conversation. At this point, you find out about his porn use and you begin, would we say decades of terrible counseling or maybe just one decade of terrible counseling? You talk about the horror stories of trying to navigate through the, I'm going to put in quotes, quote unquote, sex addiction, pornography addiction, recovery world without the context of abuse and why that was so damaging to you and also to your husband. When you find these things out that your husband is looking at porn and visiting prostitutes, You take a lot of turns. The first one you do is try desperately to find help. I was very fortunate initially in that I went to my church and my counseling pastor there said, oh, well, this is horrible. We want to pay for you to get the kind of counseling you need. The woman he sent me to, we had sung together in the worship team. So I knew her and I knew she wasn't a crazy. I knew when I walked into her office and started crying like crazy, she was a comfort, she was a delight, she was helpful. She helped direct me in great ways. But they paid for about six weeks of counseling right at the beginning. And through those six weeks, my husband hadn't yet confessed everything. He had that lovely attribute of wanting to do the drip, drip, drip. We all know what that is. For listeners who might not know what that is, although I think everyone does, it's where they just tell a part of the truth in a drip fashion. And so you're just getting a little bit of the truth uh, every once in a while. Absolutely. When he got discovered A lot of things happened in succession, and he ended up in a one-week hold psychological evaluation because he said he was going to kill himself, and they sent him there. And, of course, he wasn't really. He was just trying to get out of everything. He didn't tell the truth the whole time he was there. But they did recommend a counselor, and he went to the counselor, and then the counselor asked to speak with me and told me my husband was a lying SOB who was still hiding a bunch of stuff. And this is a Christian counselor, so it was a lot for him to say that. So on my way home from that, I said, hey, we're going to get a polygraph test. And he started backpedaling, and they don't work, they're not allowed in court, all of the usual excuses. And that's when I realized that he hadn't told me everything. But he wanted to leave that particular counselor. Mm, Because that counselor was on to him, right? So he wanted... A new one. Yeah, 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 I get it. (laughs) 
we went to another counselor for a very short period of time who immediately wanted to delve into his history, his family, and all of the blah, 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 blah. But he's the kid that grew up with the great parents. Mom was a pilot in the RAF during World War II. Dad was on the National Council of Boy Scouts. They went traveling together. He had a great, great childhood. But his mom had warned me that Derry was a very selfish person, and she was very disappointed in his selfishness as an adult. But she was so glad that he married me. Okay, so that counselor I walked away from, and it eventually landed us at Heart to Heart Counseling Center in Colorado Springs. For those of you who don't know, that's where Dr. Doug Weiss is in Colorado Springs. And we went to one of the counselors there who, how shall I say this? He started the same things all over again. Well, it must be something connected to his past, his parents and all. And it wasn't. Deary had said to me point blank, it's because he's selfish. It was because he had prostitutes and porn on the road when he was a traveling musician before he became a Christian. And one day he just decided... I'm going to go in sex world in Minnesota. That was a strip club type of thing and got back into it. He eventually had to come to grips with the fact that now I knew there were a series of prostitutes and everything. And so he started going to a 12-step at Dr. Weiss's facility and things were coming up that I didn't like. Things that didn't seem, how shall I say this, humbling it was, well, we need to have sex right away. This was coming from the therapist there? Yes. Yeah. He had found that they were balancing the need to get right back into having sex again. I went to one 12-step group myself where they told me that I should not control his recovery. I am not entitled to the pain of being rejected. What? Whoa, 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 whoa. You are not entitled to feel the pain? Of what he did to you? Wow. That's an actual quote. And I needed to stop expressing my anger to my spouse. And then we needed to make a sex chart. It was kind of a calendar where we would decide who was going to lead sex every night of the week. One of the worst things I heard was, and I'm reading the quote because I took notes, you tell your husband you don't want him to go to Starbucks because the coffee shop is filled with hot women behind the counter. Your insecurity is controlling. Stop controlling him. Let the guy get his cup of coffee. (laughs) Well, through all of that, there's this subtle victim blaming going on. It wasn't so subtle. (laughs) Extreme victim blaming. And then we started comparing notes on some things that were being said. And I tried to look at it in the light of what God says a relationship should be. And he started to listen. He still hadn't confessed everything yet, but when he would be dismissive of something, and I just stop him and I say, why are you dismissing my feelings? You were saying what you did doesn't have an effect on me. He started to see how much he hurt me. There were a lot of physical things that happened and he had to take responsibility for me having a hysterectomy, for me passing out and hitting my head and suddenly having to get surgery with little holes drilled in my head because I had subdural hematoma 
from the shock he was dumping on me every time he'd make a confession. So these are big things that he had to find out, and he realized the counseling he was getting wasn't working at all. We eventually did find a counselor who, anytime I would say something, he would look at Derry and say, are you listening? Are you listening? You're the cause of this. This is not her. This is all you. And he started to wake up. But until he really got to that point where he could hear what he was doing without making an excuse, when he could own the things that he had done without saying the word, but I, that's when he started humbling himself truly. Because he was the son of a very, very strong British woman and had two sisters who were very strong, independent thinkers, he did have an innate respect for a strong woman. And so that really helped, I will be honest there. But it's not saying he immediately changed. It took years to get down the road. He said to me, I want to spend the rest of my life making this up to you. I want to do everything I can to show you that I love you and I'm willing to sacrifice for you. And that meant not making excuses. That meant learning how to tell the truth. One thing I've heard you say and guests on the podcast say, it seems like telling the truth is the last thing to heal. Right after, you know, the Ten Commandments, the seventh is you shall not commit adultery. The eighth is thou shalt not steal. And ninth is don't lie. And they all work in there. He was stealing from me in the sense that he was taking our marriage and he had made it into something it wasn't. It was not an open marriage. You can't be married with three or four people in a marriage. And I think that's the most important thing when we as women turn around and look, we want to stay in the marriage. We can only stay in the marriage if the husband is willing to lay down his life before God and acknowledge everything that he has done to you, to your children, to those around who looked at him, respected him. He had to be open. And that meant everybody knew what was going on. The stories that you're telling about bad therapy where they're basically enabling the abuser and further harming the victim. That's one of the reasons we only recommend, not saying that some individual therapist like the one you found wouldn't be fantastic, but as far as a program goes that we know of, we only recommend Center for Peace because it has elements in it that we have not found in any other program. Number one, they approach it from an abuse perspective. It's run by a therapist, Coach Joy. She's a therapist who's amazing, who has training in multiple behavioral addictions. It's for an entire year where the wife is only included there to make sure that he's telling the truth to the therapist, right? It's not because the wife needs to like do her part or stay on her side of the street or something like that. It's so that the therapist knows what is going on so that like, he's telling me he's doing great. Is that what you're seeing? And she could say, no, you just yelled at me this way or whatever it is, because that accountability from the wife is super, super important because these types of abusers can really manipulate the therapist into thinking everything's great. He's doing a great job. Oh, yeah. 
he did that with a couple of them and along the way. But the only thing that really matters is that true transparency. This is why I couldn't understand. I mean, there were a bunch of other therapists we'd try one or two times, but they would not want me in the room to validate you know, what he was saying. And how can you listen to just one side in this when they've openly said, yes, I'm a liar, I've committed adultery, I'm seeing women on the side, but that therapist is supposed to believe everything he says right. over anything else. Absolutely not. We have found that even in the DV, which is domestic violence, a lot of people, they believe that the victim lies and that the perpetrator is telling the truth. Like, well, this is the first time he's done this, you know, that kind of thing. And you're like, no, this has been happening for years. It's the first time she found out about it. It's a really, really tricky. So we only recommend Center for Peace. And I'll just do a plug there. If you're interested in looking at the program for Center for Peace, go to cenfp.org or email coachjoy at joi at cenfp.org. We are going to take a break here and continue the conversation with Hillavy next week. So please stay tuned. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there 